before if you weren't sure by now where we were going to be. So good to see Nathan Bowers here this morning. This, is this the first time Nathan's got to come since before COVID? Yeah, I'm so glad. Good to see you, Brother Nathan. Right. All right. We'll pray for that. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. All right, some of you figured that out. Jason's trying to, been trying for 10 years to get me to figure it out. I'm just, just coming around. I told him I'm a slow learner. Luke chapter 24, and we've already read verses 1 through 24 and heard the children recite it to us, so I won't read it again. But I want to preach to you this morning on the resurrection of Christ. I want to start with one of my favorite things about Easter Sunday, and it's a poem by my pastor, He Did Not Stay Dead, by Brother Willard Thomas. I heard this all of my life. Initially, I said, well, I'll I'll never do the poem because nobody could do it like Brother Willard. But then Brother Willard died, and then nobody did the poem. And I said, well, I'm going to do my best just because I want to hear it on Easter Sunday. So here it is. They placed his body in Joseph's new tomb and filled his disciples with sorrow and gloom. They did not remember what he had said, how he'd lay there three days, but he wouldn't stay dead. Mary came at the break of day and found the stone rolled away. She saw an angel and in terror fled and told his disciples he didn't stay dead. In that cold, dark tomb, he would not stay. He conquered death and walked away. And now that old grave has lost its fear and dread. He lives again. He wouldn't stay dead. Full atonement and pardon were made. And forever the sin debt was marked, fully paid. The price was his blood as it flowed crimson red. And I'm thankful today he didn't stay dead. Let's go to our churches and cry aloud. Let's go to the marketplace and talk to the crowd. Let's go to the mission field that lies up ahead. Let's tell the whole world, Jesus did not stay dead. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, let's pray and we'll get right into the resurrection of Christ. Father, we, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. Greater love has no man than this. Than a man lay down his life for his friends. And Lord, it breaks our heart to think that you would die for us. But we thank you that you did. And we worship you this morning. Because you did not stay dead, that you're alive evermore. So Father, we thank you for this special time together with the church. Glorying in the fact that Jesus is alive, that he lives, that we serve a risen Savior. And so we ask your blessing upon this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The resurrection story is likely a most familiar story to us all. Jesus was crucified on a cross. He was buried in a new tomb. On Sunday, some women came to the tomb to anoint his dead body. They find that he's not there and the angels remind them that he's risen from the dead just as he told them that he would do. They go back, they tell his disciples, some of them doubt. Peter runs to see for himself. And on and on and on in Luke's account of the resurrection of Christ, these things go until Jesus is seen by many and then ascends up into heaven. 
And this is great news. It's great news that Christ is risen. This is the gospel, which just simply means good news. But this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He lived a sinless life. He died for our sin. And he rose from the dead. The gospel promises that if we believe in Jesus Christ, all of our sins will be forgiven and that we will live with God forever. This good news centers on the person and the work of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. But often, we don't receive this news as we should. We think about the resurrection of Christ, there are some who simply deny it. It's not true, it didn't happen. His disciples stole the body, he wasn't actually dead, whatever their theories may be. There are others who are mistaken about the gospel, who are mistaken about the resurrection. And then there are some who are just skeptical. Maybe they want to believe, maybe they in the past thought they believed as a child, but then they became an adult and got some sense and figured things out, and now they're just skeptical. I want to use those three topics as headings today while we're considering the resurrection of Christ from this text. To just preach to you three things, resurrection is for the skeptic. Resurrection is for the mistaken. And resurrection is for the denier. And we find those three groups of people here in Luke chapter 24. We begin in verse 1 with a topic that resurrection is for the skeptic. Notice here in verse number 1, that these women didn't come to the tomb believing Jesus was alive. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. I don't want us to miss this detail in the text. We, we get up on Easter Sunday morning and it's exciting. I remember as a child, there was a few years there where I had a canary yellow Easter sport coat. I couldn't speak very well back then or hear very well one or the other, and I called it my Easter soup, S-O-U-P. And I was so excited as a little boy to put my Easter soup on and go to church, and then after church go to Granny's house and hunt eggs. And we hunted real eggs back then. Did you guys do real boiled eggs? I'll get so sick on Easter Sunday trying to eat all my boiled eggs. I believe there's probably a limit on how many of those you could consume in a healthy way, in a certain day. But now I do this with Reese's eggs, and I get sicker than I do with the boiled eggs. But it was a very special day for me as a, as a child. And then as an adult, to be able to logically and cognitively think about God really became flesh. He became a human person and died on a cross for me. Boy, what a, what a great memorial day. Then my own children came along. And we added to that these same Easter traditions in our home and things that we do and the meal that we eat and the gifts that we give. And boy, we just try to make it an exciting and a special day. And one of the two days a year, my wife is able to get a family portrait. We fight her every other day of the year and we usually win. It's five men versus one lady. So we. But I think if we're not careful, we miss this, this small detail here in the text. It seems like everybody's just always believed that Jesus is alive. All the ones who didn't, they were the, the Romans and the Jewish authorities and these mean people and these bad people. 
But the good people, they always believe. Well, it's just not so according to Luke's account. These are the Marys. These are those who are close to Jesus in his life. They watched from afar as Joseph took his body down off the cross. We looked at that Friday night. They saw where he was buried. They waited through the Sabbath. They went back on Sunday morning because their, their Savior, their Master, their Lord, their friend was dead in that tomb. And they wanted to do what was right according to their customs with his body. They did not come to worship him. They did not come to celebrate him. They came to bury him. They weren't going there to see, well, is, it, is the tomb empty? You know how when you were a kid, you'd get up on Easter morning and say, did the bunny rabbit come? I woke up this morning. I thought in my mind I'd be singing Dolly Parton. He's alive. He's alive. Am I the only one? I like that one. But I woke up this morning, 5 a.m. to go to the sunrise service, and I was singing to myself, Little Peter Cottontail, hopping down the bunny trail. I thought, what in the world? How carnal am I? I repented. They didn't, you know, you get up and you say, like on Christmas, has Santa come? Has the Easter bunny come on Easter? Did, did I get my toys or whatever it is you do? Well, they didn't go with that kind of expectation that morning. They weren't saying, oh, we remember Jesus said he wouldn't be in the tomb. Let's go see if it's empty. This is not how they go. They went bringing spices to prepare his body. Daryl Bach, one of my favorite Luke scholars, says the fact that they took spices along to anoint the decaying body shows what they expected to find. Isn't that how we operate? You kind of get, get out of what you put into. You kind of come already expecting and sort of things go the way you presuppose them to go. That's what was going on here. So I make the case to you that these disciples of Christ were some of the very first skeptics of the resurrection. Now we're not going to leave them there. I know that sounds insulting, but I'm going to say Mary and Mary and Peter, James and John. They were all just a bunch of skeptics. They didn't remain skeptics. Some of you church curmudgeons were already getting mad at me. I could see the looks on your face. You're like, wait a minute, this isn't an Easter sermon. It's not on the approved list. But could you go along with me here for just a moment? This was very helpful to me. I think it could be helpful to some of us. These were the first to have to be convinced that Jesus is alive. Some of us have been in church so long. We've, we've been to enough Easter services. We've taken enough Good Friday communions that we sort of just get past the point that this is just normal and everybody thinks like this and everybody believes this. But I promise you, we live in a skeptical world with a lot of skeptical people. And on the whole, the church exercises itself in such a way that often we're guilty, and, and, and rightly so, of people being able to say, See? Mm-hmm, that's what I thought. Because we're not perfect. Well, I'm, I'm all right worshiping my Lord this morning with that presupposition and conclusion. I was not always a believer. I was not always truly bought into this idea that a person was dead and made alive again. That God could become flesh, but then somehow 
conquer death on himself, though he was dead, and then come back to life again. So these first had to be convinced that Jesus is alive. And they were convinced. Verse 2, they saw the stone moved. That's the first proof. I like to watch Perry Mason. And one of the things I love about Perry Mason is when he gets to that point in the show where it's been on TV long enough that they can go to a commercial and they need to give you a cliffhanger right before he solves the case. And he solves the case every time. That's the way I like TV to go. The good guy always does what to the bad guy? Kills him. The, the, the truth comes out on Perry Mason. And they get right to the end and he'll say, here's the reason, because number one this, and number two this, and number three this, and somebody in the gallery or the person on the stand will start crying and say, you're right, I did it, I did it, I did it. If you're ever on trial, that's the wrong thing to do. Never admit. Well, here, this, they, Luke lays out. He's a, he's a doctor. He's a physician. He lays out this evidence. Number one, they found the stone rolled away. Remember? Friday night, the, t- the children taught us. These guys said, we've got to put a stone there big enough that only God himself could move it. The, these authorities, they said, seal it up. Or his disciples would come steal his body. Put a guard out in front of it. They had done everything humanly possible to make sure no funny business was going on with this body. And these ladies show up there. And one of the issues they're going to have to deal with if they're going to put spices on the body is, who can we get to move this stone so that we can get in there? Or, or is it even possible? Well, let's just go and see. They're convinced here. Though skeptical, though going expecting to find him dead, they get there and the stone is moved. Number two, from verse number three, they go into the tomb and Jesus' body is not there. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. Their third point of evidence comes from verse four as they meet some angels who explain these things to them. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Now we'll get to more about the angel's explanation here in a moment. But they get there, the tomb is open, they look inside, the body is gone. And and Luke says they were perplexed. Now do what you will with that word to, to define inside of yourself what emotions they were going through there. And then to see people in shining garments standing there, heavenly beings. This is a unique time. But I would just submit to you initially that this group of ladies going to anoint the body of Jesus were the first skeptics to the resurrection of Christ. Second, let's skip up to verse 9, and we're going to find the second group of skeptics. Believe it or not, it was the apostles. Verse 9 says, And returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. Now, who returned? These ladies returned from the grave. Well, who are the eleven? Well, it's the 12 apostles minus Judas, who's denied Christ, or betrayed Christ, and hung himself. And so there's 11 of them at this point. Paul will be added to the group. And then in Acts 1, Matthias will be added to that group. But right now, there's 11 of them. And they tell these things to the 11. Okay, well, these are Jesus' closest followers. These are those who would eventually go on and start the church with great power. Preach on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people get saved. They've already been sent out by Jesus in pairs to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to preach the good news of the kingdom. These are guys who know what's going on. Jesus told them over and over and over again, I'm going to die, but I'll get up again. I won't, I won't stay dead. They're not skeptics. They're believers, right? 
Well, no. Verse 10 tells us who the ladies were. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and other women that were with them, which told these things to the apostles. Verse 11, here's the apostles' conclusion. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Verse 11 really shines a skeptical light on the apostles. I mean, in in some segments of New Testament religion, I would not be allowed to say this this morning. It would be highly unfavorable for me to say, Peter and John and James and some of these guys were skeptical that Jesus rose from the dead. We've, we've sainted these guys. We've popified them. How's that for an Easter word? How dare you say they were skeptical of the resurrection? Well, I didn't say it. Actually, the Holy Spirit inspired Dr. Luke in his research for Theophilus to pin this down. And I want you to notice the specific title they used to the report from these ladies who were eyewitnesses that the tomb was open and his body wasn't there and have been told by angels. Remember? He said this would happen. He said he would rise up again. The, the term there in verse 11 is idle tales. Now, there's a Greek word for that, but I like the English. You guys ever told some idle tales? I went fishing with Jason a few weeks back, and he caught a shark. And he asked me Friday night, he said, how, how, really, how big was that shark I caught? And I said, Jason, it started at about five feet, but it's up to 12 now. <laughs> Amen? It's true, he says. It was a large shark. We had pictures, you could see. After church, he'll be signing autographs. <laughs> you know, fish stories. Idle tales. The Greek word is L-E-R-O-S. I think it's pronounced Leros. That was a little more Spanish than Greek, but you get the idea. The word means nonsense. These guys said to these ladies, nonsense. The, the, uh, it falls right in line with someone who would say a word like humbug. Right? In their everyday Greek, they would use this word, leros, to refer to a delirious person, very sick, suffering in great pain, who might, kind of, we say in the South, talk out of their head. You will say that terminology? Yeah. Those who are failing to properly perceive reality. This is what they say about them. These are idle tales. This is nonsense. Or, I like the reference here, just as Scrooge says humbug at Christmas, The apostles say humbug at Easter. Now, we don't usually put the apostles right in there with Ebenezer Scrooge. But it fits. Skeptical. Not willing to buy in. Feeling like this is not true. It can't be true. It's not logical. It's a bunch of nonsense. You're wasting our time with it. Now, make this point on purpose today. Because a limiting factor... For skeptics in coming to faith is the whitewashing that the church does for its history. Now, I'm not completely anti the whitewashing that I do for my own spiritual history. I'll admit that I was a sinner and that Jesus saved me from my sins, but I like God's way about it 
What did he do with my sins? He forgot them. He cast them in the depths of the sea as his forgetfulness. He put them as far as the east is from the west. He put them behind his back where he cannot find them anymore. And since God isn't going to remember them, I don't want you to remember them either. Can I get an amen? I don't know if any of you all felt that way or not about your sins. So I'm not saying it's a completely horrible thing that we, I'll give you another made-up word here, religiousify ourselves. I've had a lot of candy today, okay? Just. But you know, if you were a skeptic this morning, that would be one of the things that bugs you about us. A bunch of hypocrites down there at the church. Acting like they're not sinners. Acting like they're better than me. Acting like they're different than they really are. I know what they're like because I'm one of them. We would all say to that. Amen. That's what I like about this church. We haven't gotten too big for our britches. We haven't gotten so stiff-necked that we forgot where God brought us from. We haven't forgotten that... Yes, these Marys had to be convinced that Jesus was alive. And even the apostles who formed the church had to be convinced that Jesus was alive. They called it nonsense. On the first Easter Sunday morning, they were Scrooge and said, Ah, humbug. If we're not careful as the church, we'll kind of portray this atmosphere that our first words after birth, you know, goo goo gaga, were the apostles' creed. So if we come out saying, I believe in the Lord God Almighty. We get that religious sometimes, don't we? For sure we do. I've got my suit and my tie. Wingtip shoes. Do you know you can't preach unless you have wingtip shoes on? Not really. But I did grow up around a group of preachers. You had to have a white shirt on. I'm wearing stripes this morning. I better not tell anybody. And you had to have wingtip shoes. And if you wore glasses, they had to be horn-rimmed. Just the way that was North Georgia Mountain Preachers, that was the thing. So religious, so caught up in what we're doing, almost to the point that we're sort of detracting from the gospel. Pushing people away is to the drawing people in. Well, this bunch here, they weren't whitewashed yet. They were close to Jesus, closer than we've been. They were still skeptical. So we learn here that the resurrection of Christ was not for the perfect. It was not for the self-righteous. It was not for those who already had faith in something. The the resurrection of Christ was for the skeptic. It was for the doubter. It was for the one who just wasn't sure yet. Is that a relief to anybody? Boy, I read through this this week and I thought to myself, hang on a minute. In fact, I'll just... You guys are getting a Saturday night special here. I had another sermon, and Shanae asked me last night, what are you doing? 6.30 p.m. What are you doing? And I said, I just deleted my sermon. I'm going to write another one. Okay, I'll see you later. <laughs> but I got to looking back through this, and I thought, oh, they didn't have this all figured out. They weren't exactly sure about everything. They were skeptical. They were doubting. As you read this this morning, it allows you to do as they did. They, they came to this tomb skeptical, but they left telling about a moved stone. They left telling about a missing body. They allowed a divine message from these angels 
to clarify for them what had happened. The resurrection is for the skeptical. Secondly, I want to make the point to you this morning that the resurrection is for the mistaken. I have this folder at home. Maybe it's in the tornado damage stuff at the church. This would probably be a good thing, actually. But before computers were good enough to, like I just preach from an iPad now, and keep digital copies of my sermons. But before that, I initially had one of these modern typewriters that was a word processor. It would put, you could put a three-and-a-half-inch floppy disk in there. You could type your sermons, and I'd keep them on a disk. And then it, and it would print them out for me. Brother made this wonderful technological device. It was very heavy and large and cost an astronomical amount of money and had a screen about that large, bigger, smaller than everybody's cell phones now. But you couldn't keep them like we do now, just unlimited amounts of storage. You had to only keep a few, so you print them out, put them in a file, put them away. Started preaching when I was 15 years old. One day, one of my boys was in the office, and they figured out that I keep candy hidden in the back of one of my file cabinets, and they were digging around for my candy. I think this was Jack or Henry when they were smaller. And they found that file of sermons. They said, Dad, what are all these sermons? And I said, those are embarrassing is what they are. There are things that I preached when I was 15 and 19 and 22. And they said, well, was the Bible right? And I said, yeah, but think about the Bible back then. I was a little mistaken. Am I the only one? Some of you have been saying the Apostles' Creed since birth. You've always had your doctrine just right. Anybody here this morning? Wait, let's try the other way. How many of you have been changed on some things over the years? Hey, there we go. The resurrection's for you. These angels say to these ladies here, who go on and say to these disciples, you guys are mistaken. Look at verse 5. And as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said unto them, why seek ye the living among the dead? That's a big mistake, isn't it? You don't find the living among the dead. You find the dead among the dead. The living tend toward the living. In fact, when a living person tends too much toward the dead, we say that's weird. Legion, this guy full of all of these demons, hung out in the tombs. It was odd. It was not normal. The townspeople separated themselves from him because of that. These folks are mistaken. The angel says, you're looking for Jesus among the dead, but he's alive. Verse 6, remember what he told you. He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee. What did he say? Verse 7. The Son of Man, Jesus, must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. He had told them this. They had watched him die and just didn't have this on their mind as they grieved his passing. And now they were preparing to deal with the grief of his death. And the angels tell them, you're you're, you're mistaken. And a wonderful verse is verse 8, which is very simple. And they remembered his words. Boy, do you ever get mistaken in your faith? Looking for Jesus in all the wrong places? Looking for truth and faith and hope and places where it's not? Instead of going to where it is? The Word? Prayer? The church? The Holy Spirit? We we want it to be in other things. We put our hope in politicians. We put our faith in governments. Doctors. Banks. Careers. Five-year plans. New cars. I'm going to offend some of you here. I'm going to duck after I say this. Put our hope in guns. I know, I know. 
But do you remember the story in the Old Testament? I'm going to try to make the proof to the gun toters in here this morning. I know it's not going to work. In the Old Testament, there were several times where the angel of the Lord would just fight before them. The army never really had to pick up their weapon, and God just destroyed the enemy. That's way better. Well, maybe it's not. John Wayne, it's pretty fun. Pow, pow, pow. But we forget at times. And we get mistaken. We allow the cares of this life to replace Jesus' words inside of us. But I want to remind you this morning, just like these ladies here, just like the apostles here, the resurrection is for the mistaken. The cares of life got you down right now? Is the state of the world got you questioning, uncertain, uneasy? Your hope is not in this world. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about the resurrection of Christ, do you remember what he said? If our hope was in this world only, well, how would we be? Miserable. If our hope is in this world only, we're just, we're mistaken. The resurrection is for the mistaken. If you find yourself there this morning, this is not me making an accusation against you. This is me saying, I'm just like you. But we have hope right here in this passage. He is not here. Remember his words. He did like he said, meaning he's going to do everything else that he said too. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Jesus said, believe also in him. In his father's house are many mansions. He goes to prepare a place for you. And if he goes, he will come again and receive you unto himself, that where he is, there you may be also. Praise the Lord. Oh, we get mistaken. We think elections will change our lives. We think health will change our lives. We think stability will change our lives. No, there's only one thing that's going to change your life. And that's Jesus Christ. That's Him being in your life now. And that's that future hope of you being with Him then. Only accomplished because of the resurrection. And I'll finish with this. It's for the denier. Verse 12. It's for the skeptical. It's for the mistaken. And it's for the denier. Then arose Peter and ran to the sepulcher. And stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself at that which was to come to pass. Now, I'm sure you know, but I just want to remind us where Peter's at here. He has just very recently publicly denied knowing Jesus. I mean, just let's put it into our world here. You showed up this morning realizing Chance Strickland was going to preach a sermon. Or maybe you didn't. Maybe somebody just invited you to come to their church. That's how we do it. So come to my church for Easter service. But, but had you been in McDonald's yesterday, right here in White Bluff, Tennessee, and you overheard Chance having a discussion with some other people, and they were like, aren't you one of those preachers of Jesus? And I said, no, not me. I don't even believe all that. That's crazy stuff. I don't think you would have showed up here this morning to hear me preach a sermon, right? That's right. Well, Peter has just recently publicly denied knowing Christ. Three times. This, this girl just wouldn't leave him alone. 
He was trying to warm his hands by the fire. He was kind of sort of paying attention to what was going on with Jesus as he's arrested and tried and going to be crucified. And she says, you're, you're one of his. Aren't you one of those? I mean, this is the guy who, in defense of Jesus, just tried to cut a guy's head off, missed, and got his ear. He is one of those. But he said, no, I don't know him. He's a denier. He's likely hurt here and confused because Jesus is dead. Not only has he denied him, but now he's dead. You know how you do when death comes? You grieve by blaming yourselves a lot of times. I imagine Peter in some way here is blaming himself. He's blaming himself too for doing just as Jesus said he would do. Man, I used to do that as I was a teenager so much. It was like my parents were prophets. I hated it. I realize now it was because they did the same bonehead things when they were teenagers. And they kind of could tell what I was going to do because that's just how we do. The one time I've had a car wreck. Flipped my truck over. 17 years old. My dad said to me that morning, he knew I was picking up a buddy to go fishing. He said, don't be driving foolish in your truck. Well, he said, stupid. Be driving stupid in your truck just because you got your buddy in there. That's how you'll wreck it and hurt yourself. And I said, yeah, yeah, Dad, I know, I know. I'm old enough to drive now. The government's giving me a license. I know what I'm doing. Leave me alone, old man. Now, I didn't say all those things because I never got to my truck to, to drive my truck. But in my attitude and my body language and probably some thoughts in my head, that's what I was thinking. Don't tell him. I think he still might spank me. And, and what did I go and do that day? I got my buddy in the truck, and he said the one thing to me he shouldn't have said to me. He said, man, that engine sounds good. Is this truck fast? Oh. You know every redneck's famous last words. Yeah, watch this. And off we went and lost control and t- tipped it over. Saw my life flash before my eyes. Oh, well, that's where Peter is here. At the Last Supper, Jesus said to him, Peter... You talk a big talk, but on this very night, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to die me three times. Oh, not me, Lord. Jesus, you've been in the wilderness too long. Jesus, you've been down in the temple too long. You don't understand reality. I'm a strong fisherman. I'm from this area. I know these people. I can manage these things. You just get behind me, Peter says. And Jesus says to Peter, No, you get behind me, Satan. Well, you know he's beating himself up here. These ladies come back. You saw the girls? Good job, girls. The excitement was contagious. Well, let's go see. I'm so excited. Now, that was just us pretending and acting, and we're many years removed. you imagine what it must have been like on that day? And they show up, and the other apostles say, Oh, this is humbug. This is nonsense. Idle tales. But not Peter. He got up. He ran down to the tomb. He looked in. He didn't see the body. He saw the clothes. And he walks away, Luke says, with wonder. He's thinking. He he says, "Uh, what's going to happen now? Make all that point to say to you, the resurrection is, it's even for the deniers of Christ. Because this very guy, not many days later, is going to stand out in the the midst of this town 
and preach from an Old Testament prophet. The boringest scriptures that there are come from these Old Testament prophets, some of them. And he preaches that, and it's electrified through the Holy Spirit, and 3,000 people get saved. It's as if God is saying from heaven, well done, Peter. He leaves in wonder, though he's a denier. Because in faith, he runs to see, is this true? I would encourage you this morning, if you find yourself skeptical, if you find yourself mistaken, if you find yourself a denier, to just go and see. You have to take my word for it. Talk to the Lord yourself. Peter's faith is renewed here. And he wonders what else is about to happen. This was so encouraging to me. I hope it's encouraging to you this morning. We all fail at times. We even sometimes backslide. We may even at times deny resurrection is for us. These imperfect people who God is perfecting through the righteousness of Christ, the denier, the skeptic, the mistaken. We, we didn't gather here today and worship as some perfect people. No, we, we gathered because we've all realized that we are sinners saved by the grace of God. And that's the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. Where are you today? Are you skeptical? Are you mistaken? Are you denying? Even these original witnesses to the resurrection of Christ needed to be convinced. Resurrection. One scholar says resurrection faith developed only after doubting disciples experienced the risen Christ heard witnesses of the risen Christ, and were led by God to recognize the risen Christ. I hope you will develop resurrection faith this morning if you haven't already. I hope you'll experience the risen Christ. You've heard witnesses to the risen Christ. Our prayers that you'll be led by God like we were, to have faith. In the risen Christ. And Christians this morning. I think we should all consider this. And think maybe today is a good day. To commit myself anew to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have our doubts. Let me put it for us a different way. Because we don't often deny as Peter did. That's a rare situation. And we don't often get put in situations of. Do we take the spices to go down and anoint Jesus' dead body, or do we go in faith that he's alive? We have our own versions of that, right? Like the church that was going to pray for rain in the middle of a drought, and only one guy shows up with an umbrella. See, we have our own little mini versions of these things. What what have been the doubts in your faith? What have been the skeptical things according to the word? What, What are things that you've sort of been acting not like a Christian in because you've been mistaken on how we ought to operate? Like hope in the temporal instead of in the eternal. Well, today's a good day. As we talk about Christ is risen indeed, today's a good day for you to say, you know what? He is risen indeed. And He died for me. Though I'm mistaken. Though I'm skeptical. Though I'm a denier. Though from today and the rest of my life till it's over, I'll probably mess up again. He still died for me. So I want to give my whole life for Him in exchange. 
you're unsaved here this morning, you can do that through faith in the gospel. Believing that Jesus lived a sinless life, died on the cross for your sins, and that he rose again. For those of you saved here this morning, it just takes commitment. It takes you saying within yourself to the Lord, I want to be right with you. I want to be close to you. I want to have the excitement in tomorrow's living as these people must have on that Monday after that first Easter. If they'd had telephones. Would you stand and pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. And we stand before you sinners, admitting that openly and freely, not proud of it, ashamed and thankful that you provided a way for us to be made sinless. And that's through Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. So, Lord, we ask your blessing upon this time as we respond to your word. We've considered this resurrection story. We've seen how some were skeptical. They had doubts. Some were mistaken about what was going on. Some had even been in a place of denying you. But you still sent ways to convince them. You rolled back the stone. You sent angels with a message from heaven. And you allowed them to share this from person to person. Oh, Father, help us to commit ourselves as these in the text did, given the information that we have just to say. Bless this time as we respond to the word. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take a moment with our heads bowed, respond to the word of God. You can come down and pray if you want. Pray there in your seat, but let's all take a moment and pray as the musicians play for us.